All right, welcome back. Happy football season, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for another edition of the Damn Podcast. Brandon Sprague, 1080 The Fan, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. Angie, I can't believe it's already time to start talking about some football. It's my favorite time of the year, Brandon. I mean, I love Letter of Intent signing day and in that time in February, but there's such this hope kind of springs eternal with the start of fall camp. Yeah, you had the media day yesterday uh, for Oregon State because we're recording this on a, uh, a Wednesday afternoon. And it, it's kind of crazy because you don't get too much for media days usually. Like, it's just the cliche, oh, we're getting excited. We can't wait to get out there. Uh, but I think there's a certain buzz with Oregon State in year two under Gary Anderson and a lot of guys coming back. There is, and I, what, I, what I sense is there's kind of this kind of quiet confidence, and I'm not ready to go out and say, and I don't, I don't think the coaches or the players would say that they're ready to you know, go out and have a 10-win season. I mean, I'm sure they want it, but um, there's a, a confidence about them that I, I really do believe that they think that they're ready to surprise some people. How much of that do you think stems from what they did in the Civil War? I think some, you know, some of it. I, you know, one of the interviews we did yesterday with um, Paul Lucas that was one of the questions. And, you know, he said, really the coaches and the players didn't talk too much about civil war because that is, you know, what they believed they could do all along. It was the media and, and mm-hmm. fans that kind of kept talking about those glimpses. And, you know, he, in, in his mind, he said, you know, we knew we had that capability all year long. It was a matter of putting it all together and playing four full quarters, whistle to whistle and not playing, you know, maybe a one, one good quarter. Yeah, I, I know. I, yeah, I get what you're saying on that one. Uh, I, by the way, we should note that you came very close just about two minutes ago uh, to wanting to drop the Beavers are going to win nine games. I totally, <laughs> I totally caught you in that. I think listeners did as well. Uh, even though that may be a little extreme for most people's predictions, I like that you're so excited about football. You almost went there. Yeah, but that's not where my prediction is. So I'll just put that out there. But there's. There's that hope springs eternal, I guess. Well, I think uh, I think we should just tell listeners because we uh, we've discussed a little bit in the off season. You know, you you and your husband are so busy uh, in everything that you guys do with BeaverBlitz.com, and uh, you know, obviously, I do a radio show, so we're really busy, and sometimes we like to take in the off season and get away from it a little bit, unplug. I believe we'd agree upon we are going to be doing this podcast once again throughout the football season. Uh, we are open to anybody. If you want to get your business out there, a little grassroots campaign, you are more than welcome to contact Angie or myself, especially Beaver Blitz uh, uh, subscribers. It's easy to contact Angie through that. We haven't decided on a day, I don't think, of the week, but I think we have 100% gone in that we're going to do the podcast once again. We are in. I, it's fun, and it's, it's kind of fun even on you know on Twitter. I know some of the the Twitter followers they they listen to you on the radio every day, and and they, they're Beaver Blitz members. And uh, I think there was some excitement that we were coming back. So um, yes, you know, get in touch with Brandon or myself, and uh, real a nice little reasonable way to to reach Beaver fans out there. All right, so we have a uh, we got a fantastic podcast in store for you. It won't be as long as maybe a, a during season or maybe mid fall camp podcast. Uh, but we got some things to get to today, and there's a few that we, you know, we'll start here. We're going to get into the defense and talk a little bit about the, the defense coming back for Oregon State. Uh, Anderson expressed concern over the running back position outside of Ryan Nall. We'll talk about that. Uh, expectations. Angie's ready to say they're a Rose Bowl team. I don't know if everybody else says <laughs> out there. All jokes aside, we'll talk about expectations. Uh, we got some recruiting nuggets to throw out as well. And I want to cap it off with this. 12 greatest Beaver football players of all time. Uh, I did something for the Pac-12 Networks. I want to pass that along. We'll discuss all that. Let's start with the defense, though. 
and okay. our first damn podcast. I was talking with Mike Parker, and Mike is about as well-versed in Oregon State football as any individual can be. He's the voice going into 18 years now. And he, he dropped an interesting tidbit on my show yesterday. He basically said this may be the most drastic turnover year that he can maybe ever remember for Oregon State. As in, when he looks at the when he looks at the depth chart and he looks at the roster, he looks at it and there are so many names he doesn't know. He really has to learn a lot of these kids' names. Now, there's some that are coming back, uh, the linebacker position, one or two in the secondary. But when a guy like Mike Parker says, hey, I don't know as much about some of these guys, I think that kind of shows you where the defense is at in terms of youth and inexperience. What do you make of the defense? Oh, it is. It's it's so young, but they're, you know, I think sitting, and when you sit, I'm, I have the depth chart pulled up right now, and when you look at one of the defensive end positions, and there are five true freshmen listed, that's true freshmen. We're not talking redshirt guys that, you know, these are five true freshmen listed. You know, Isaac Garcia, Kenny Turnier, uh, Joa Robinette, Shamaya uh, Whitson, and Reed Woodward. Those that follow recruiting know the first four very well, um, but th- that's a little frightening, but yet you look at the athleticism of those guys, there's going to be some new names. Um, I would go out on a limb and, you know, I'd, I'd wager if I was a betting kind of person that we see a lot of Wesley Payne, a JUCO transfer at linebacker. Kid is a hard hitter, and uh, I think there's some real excitement around him. Gosh, there, there are. There's so many names. You know, Andre Hughes-Murray, another true freshman. Hamilcar mm-hmm. Rashad. Um, true freshman names that Beaver fans really need to learn because, I think we see a lot more guys coming in and playing early and not redshirting. Well, and I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying because I think it's going to be really important for this. You know, when you talk about the rebuild of a program and you, 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 you start as bare bones as it could possibly get with where Gary Anderson was last year, I think people do look at this depth chart because we got this media-wise uh, on the 12th of July. And this may be even different than what Gary Anderson. I mean, they're always tinkering with this roster, right? So that may this may not be the most reflective depth chart going into fall camp. We don't, we just don't know that. But when you look at some of the guys that are slated to start, slated to be the backups, I think you're right. Like this is the season where if you're going to build this program to the next step and try to be a bowl team, you have to play some of these young sophomore true freshman kids. You have to put yourself in that position of saying, look, we may be very vulnerable in our front seven with our pass rush or our linebacking core, but you have to put yourself there nonetheless because you have to get that experience for these kids. You can no longer afford in college football, even though Gary Anderson has signed a six-year deal and most Beaver fans are willing to let this thing play out maybe just the whole six years without complaining, you still can't sit on your hands and be content. And I don't think Anderson and his staff are, but I think you totally look at their roster and you would assume they're going to be playing a lot and a lot of freshmen and sophomores this year. It's gonna. It's huge. It's, it's huge. And then, you know, just some of the, the young guys that have stepped up. You know, yesterday Coach Kloon actually singled out Bright Aguebu as, as a player. He's a sophomore and as a player who he has been really impressed with from spring you know, his transformation over the summer. And that's something else, Beaver fans, you know, those of you that are going to bend or that might see the team on Saturday or we'll see them next Friday down in Corvallis for the family night scrimmage, the, a lot of these guys have completely transformed their body. And we, we talk about that every year, but, um, you know, I had the, I don't know if I'd call it the pleasure 
it, it was a killer workout. Gina Mizell of the Oregonian and myself once again did a summer conditioning workout with the team and uh, earlier in July. And let me tell you, Brandon, this was killer. And you know, I actually got to have dinner with, with Coach Simon and his staff the night before and, mm-hmm. and hear from them just what the, their whole plan. And it's, it, it's not even so much getting – but, yes, they want to be bigger and faster and stronger. But it's about having the um, conditioning to play down after down after down. And, you know, we saw that. We had to do uh, – we ran with the linemen, Gina and I did, for the, for the running portion. We did three sets of 12, so 36, 40-yard sprints. Oof. And you had to do it in seven seconds, and then you had a, a turnaround of seven-second break and then doing it again. And so um, those guys, I mean, that was just it. Though. And they, they explained to the guys, we're doing this because you guys need to be able to, you know, to handle a long drive all the way down or jump back on the field if, if something happens and you need to be back on the field. So um, they see why, why they're doing it. It's not just running because they're running. They're, they're totally reconditioning themselves. And uh, I, I think that'll be a big takeaway take for Beaver fans when they first see this team this, this summer. And if there's anything that, uh, that I've heard as well, it's, it's that, that that is going to be a very, that's going to be a very underrated thing to watch for, from a fan perspective, is the difference in the change in their bodies. And, and I was talking with somebody yesterday that mentioned their their whole new regiment, right? Because Gary Anderson has mentioned before, it's about physicality. It's about being uh, men amongst boys. It's about proving that you belong there for all four quarters. And a lot of times last year, besides the talent gap, Oregon State would just find themselves you know, close with Stanford. And then the second half comes and they can't hang anymore. It's going to be very important, I think, for them to transform themselves in the weight room. And from what I've ga- uh, gathered, uh, aside from watching you and Gina work out down there, was that this whole new training regiment is completely different from what Riley's staff had them doing. Uh, and it's it's taken to a point where we're not used to watching this at Oregon State. And it's because the coach, Gary Anderson, is demanding the physicality. He's demanding for them to get bigger and add strength to where they can be in better positions uh, to have the stamina to survive some of these games. You're going to be in a lot of close battles in this Pac-12 conference because it is no gimme week in and week out. Colorado, heck, Colorado is considered the gimme along with Oregon State right now. And you look at Colorado, maybe they're a surprise team because they're bringing back a ton of talent. So you have to put yourself in that position to, like Anderson say, uh, says, have that stamina to last all four quarters. And from what I've gathered, the training staff and everybody there in the weightlifting department has done a much better job of getting these kids a little more prepared for what Gary Anderson expects out of them. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's you know another Gary Andersonism, you know, the big boy football. And and you look at the offensive line now, top to bottom. How many times did we see offensive linemen that would play at like two eighty five? Yeah, we're at three bills There's, now. They're all you know. I think the lightest one right now is is two ninety seven. So of, of you know the two deep. So that's uh, saying something. And I, I know the staff was really not, they were disappointed when they came in. And I believe I had heard five guys on the entire roster that could squat five hundred pounds. Wow. They're up to I believe somewhere in that thirty to thirty five range Jeez now. Jeez, ways. So, and that, that directly is, is power, you know, that's power and that strength. And especially for your linemen, you need to be able to push guys around. And if, and it's a different mentality in that, you know, I, I think under the, the past staff, that training staff, it was, you know, I, I heard from some of the players, well, yeah, we worked out, you know, we came in and worked out, but they're holding these guys accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, they had weigh-ins once a week and they had, you know, different parts of the training regimen that they were being held accountable and making sure it was 
going in the direction they wanted it to go. You know, um, Paul Lucas, again, told us that when he came in last year, he was at 169 when he started the season. He's starting the season at 188. That just gives him that much more strength, you know, to, you know, fight off a tackle if need be. Yeah, Stanton 305, Andrews 327, uh, uh, Yanni is at 303, uh, uh, Launa, is that how you say it? Launa? Lawina. Lawina. Lawina, 307. And yeah. then Harlow, 310. I mean, you talk about the, the uh, those big guys up front. They really are all big. And the one guy you're mentioning in the two deep is Trent Moore. Uh, he's 297. He's three pounds away. I mean, yeah. You're, yeah. You're looking at like the one guy, the lone wolf who's singled out here of not being three bills. He's three pounds away. He's basically three meals away from being in the 300 club. So, there's no doubt that the uh, the weightlifting program uh, has absolutely ha- helped transform a lot of key positions on this team. When you think of the defense with Kevin Clune, Kalani Sataki got a lot of credit for not necessarily the performance because they did struggle. They struggled in all facets last year, clearly with the two wins. But he got a lot of credit for having that hunger, having that energy, uh, being the guy that could teach these kids how to properly tackle and play really stout defense. Now, that clearly led to what he is now, the head coach at BYU. But what do you think of Kevin Clune defensively? I know this may be tough to decipher right now. Camp hasn't gone underway, and we haven't seen them play a down. What do you think Kevin Clune's going to be able to change for them defensively? Yeah, we we were having this discussion in the Lodge at Beaver Blitz, and it's, it's interesting because, I, I mean, I was a big Kalani Sataki fan. I mean, I, I do believe he's one of the best young minds defensively out there. I'm with, I'm with you on that one, by the way. And I love dealing with him. You know, as a member of the media, he was fun and energetic, and, you know, and you'd see him on the practice field, and he had so much energy and would run up and down the field and dance. And Kevin Clune is like the polar opposite. He is serious, and he is stoic. Um, but he's a perfectionist, and he's told me that, and his players have told me that. And, you know, he'll have guys redo things over and over and over just till they get it right. And uh, it's, it's something that they don't seem upset about it because he's ingraining in them that they need to be able to do this in their sleep, and they need to be able to react and not have to think about what they're doing. And, and he's doing it on the fly where he's mixing things up during when they're going against the offense so they're keeping the offense on their toes, too. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's helping both sides. And, you know, what I'm actually interested in seeing is how Gary Anderson, how that defensive line, how that goes with him coaching the D-line this year. Yeah, I'm really interested to see that, like what kind of changes are going to come with him being a little more hands-on. Uh, you mentioned Aguebu coming back. That was one guy a lot of people circled going into last season as maybe a breakout player. Now, he had his ups, but he also he had a lot of downs, as did a lot of the players. I think if you can if you can have this solid combination, which is what they have, uh, uh, if you look at the roster, right? You got, uh, let me see here. You got Aguebu, who I just mentioned. Uh, you've got Caleb Salo. You got uh, you got Tristan uh, Deku. I mean, when you have some of these guys, Brandon Arnold at the safety position. Some of these guys do have the experience. And they some, do. And some they of, do. Dwayne Williams played plenty last year. Exactly, Dwayne Williams as well. You have guys that even though the defense sucked to put it as bluntly as possible, <laughs> they got the reps and they, 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 they understood where the coaching staff wanted to go. Now, clearly there's a change there of who the, who's leading the defense, but that doesn't have to necessarily mean they're going to take a step back or stay at the same pace. It could mean because of all the experience mixed in with some of these freshmen and sophomores they're going to have to play, those guys are in better leadership positions from last season, putting the defense a little further ahead. Yeah, yeah, and then somebody like a Brandon Arnold or Dwayne Williams or Bright, they are very strong leaders. You know, they're they're vocal leaders. I think the guys look up to them. 
and uh, you know they're they're not afraid to to talk out there in the field. So um, it, I, I agree; those those guys will help in that transition. And and you know, with the transition, yes, Clune and, and Sataki kind of have some differing in their whole maybe philosophy, but they still all came from kind of that same coaching tree, and uh, they've just tweaked it to what what uh, what they feel is, is the best is best suited for whatever game they're playing. So um, I do think it'll be fun to watch. I, like I said, I, I hate saying, you know, I think Coach Sataki kind of took a brunt of some fans' frustrations last year, mm-hmm. but um, it's a whole new system. It was a whole new scheme, everything, um, different accountabilities. And uh, this this group is bought in, so now it's just a matter of executing. And, um, you know, Coach Clune's one of these guys, too, that it's interesting what, listening to You know, he's a single guy. And I, I hate saying it, he reminds me of Chip Kelly, but, you know, he kind of that Chip Kelly mentality of being married to football. I mean, yeah. I think I think Clune watches film all the time. I mean, kind of that uh, Trent Bray, like, um, just football is his life. He's and just obsessed with it, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what he does. Um, which position group defensively are you most concerned about as fall camp kicks off and bend? Most concerned? I, you know, I, I question marks at D-tackle. I just who's going to step up? Now, there's some big boys there. Sumner Houston, Elu Aiden, Kalani Vakamelalu, and Paisa Savea are kind of the four to watch, but um, really untested, all of them. So um, that's when I'm watching. You know, I mean, Kalani's played, Sumner's played, but uh, I'm watching that. And then the secondary somewhat, um, just to, to see what they can do with some new coaching. Well, I mean, you could even look at the DNs, too. Isaac Garcia. Well, yeah, the DNs. I mean, I mean you, you got a lot. You got Baker Pritchard right there, Jr., uh, Napoleon. Uh, you got him, Williams. I'm really bad with some of these names, so I apologize if I'm butchering them. Please please don't hate me for that. Uh, you, you do have a little bit, but mainly, I mean, you got a lot of inexperience. Even on the, you talk about the DTs. I mean, sophomore, freshman, redshirt freshman, sophomore, freshman, redshirt freshman. And, and, and the junior you have, like in, in Paisa, Savea, is a JUCO transfer. Yeah. He just arrived a month ago. Yeah. So, okay, but I know a lot of people are concerned about linebacker, and I look at linebacker as a strength. I, I was going to say, that's a strength for me, uh, because you look at who they have coming back, mixed in with even the depth chart, the guys behind them, I feel a little more confident about them than I do the defensive line. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think I think that's just what we're going to see. Though we're going to see a lot of different, you know, mixing up. I think we're going to see a lot of those linebacker defensive end hybrids. We're going to see some of that. So um, it'll be a, an interesting. I, I mean, I can't wait for fall camp. Just I mean, really to watch the defense. When you mentioned fall camp, is it is it kicks uh, kicks off? It gets underway. They're going to start and bend, which Gary Anderson's pretty pumped about that. And I I understand why. That's kind of an old school mentality of starting camp off, and everybody gets on the bus and you drive somewhere in the middle of nowhere, uh, and you get it going. He did yesterday at media day talk about the concerns of running back depth. That is a real problem for him outside of Ryan Nall. He kind of looks at this group and says, who's it going to be? Who's going to be my second? Who's going to be my third back that I'm going to use in, in, in the system this season? Uh, what did you make of his comments on the running back depth? It, it is a big question mark. I mean, you have nine guys listed on the depth chart. Nine. That's a little too many for my liking. Like, well, I mean, you, get you, you got you walk-ons it, in there, but... Um, you don't need you know, to I, go nine deep. Nine, <laughs> nine deep. So, I mean, Ryan Nall, you know what you have with him. Um, you know... I want to see Tim Cook break out. You know, I, I, he just looks like such a like he could be such a star player. His build and his speed. Um, you know, so you have these bigger guys with a Nall and a Cook, and then 
the change of pace with a Paul Lucas or, you know, mm-hmm. Kyle White, he's, he's new to the program. I also wouldn't count out true freshman Art- Artavis Pierce either. I've heard some great things about him uh, from this summer. So He's got really good um, size. He's 5'11", 201. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, like I said, I, I've heard from some people that not count him out, but we might see him on that travel squad ready list kind of uh you know, area and, and maybe he moves right up the depth chart too. We we don't know that. Yeah, I think uh you know, you mentioned Tim Cook. I mean he's got the size just jumps out on you. Six one, two thirty three. I mean that's that's Ryan McCants like stuff. Like that's a guy yeah, that you yeah. see physically on a field and you go, Holy hell, that's a guy gonna be running the ball through that line. That's what you want to see back there. Uh but I'm I'm kinda with Gary Anderson. Like even Ryan Nall, I I, I it sounds stupid. I know you could tell me I'm an idiot. I worry a little bit. Like, is he going to be able to stay healthy all twelve games? Is that is that a concern at all uh, in the coaching? Especially staff? if you make him your your guy, you well, know, if you yeah. don't pass you're, around, you're giving him seventeen, eighteen carries a game, maybe a little more than that, depending on how they're flowing offensively. Can you count on that for twelve games? Because if you can't, you sure as hell better know your depth chart at that position. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, Paul Lucas gives you a different look, but he's not that big strong physical runner no he's the guy that you mix in there every once in a while to give him give the defense a, a different look give him a different yeah. taste so tim cook i so there's the question is tim cook going to break out or is he going to be more of a ryan mccann god i don't know the I, beavers need for tim cook to be you know a breakout type performance and everybody always i mean it's i think it's just natural too and i think a lot of this has to do with um you know, we got Steven Jackson, right? Where Steven Jackson's this freak size guy. So Ryan McCants comes along, and the initial thought is, oh, we got another Steven Jackson. Look at him. He's 6'2, he's 240, he's big. Tim Cook might have a little bit of that going for him. We could be wrong. He could emerge and be the, the clear backup. But uh, I think because of the size, we naturally go back to even a Steven Jackson time and go 6'1, 233. That's what we look for to be running through the Oregon State offensive line. But. I like where you were going with uh, Art Pierce. You know, he's a freshman, 5'11", 201. That's really good size for a running back. It's really good, and he's a freshman. So, um, no, he's, and he's a strong runner, has good vision. So that, you know, definitely, I, he's on my, I, I released a, a article with the newcomers to watch that could kind of emerge, and, and he's definitely one of my top five. All right, so uh, we jokingly talked about it to start the podcast off. When fall camp gets underway, there's this feeling, you're absolutely right on this, there's this feeling of restart. It's it's a it's a refreshing you forget about last season, let's see what you can do this year. And you know, we joke about the how many wins they're going to get. I don't want to give predictions yet because we can wait for a few weeks into fall camp before we do that. Are you getting a sense this this could be an easy question for you to answer given beaverblitz.com and the hardcore fan base that you got there? Are you getting a sense of false expectations or expectations that may be a little unrealistic? Because I I will remember this, and I said this on my radio show. When we talked about Oregon State last year, the over-under at Vegas was three, and I said that was about as many games as I thought they would win. And I got people on Twitter, people would text in, they'd tweet our station, uh, comments, you're an idiot, this is a five-win team, Gary Anderson's going to flirt with a bowl, they're going to win four, minimum, easy, and then they win two. So I'm just curious if expectations because of last year, are they through the roof, or are they now like, uh, let's temper that before we see anything? You know, I, I think it's some of both. 
what I've seen, uh, one of the questions we have in the lodge, and then I threw it out there on Twitter, too, is if you, a beaver-related Christmas, if you had one Christmas wish to ask Santa for your beavers, what would it be? Over, overwhelmingly, everyone's saying a Civil War win. So, you know, that alone... Oh, wait, over, over being a bowl team? Yeah, over, I've had one person say bowl, and then, the, like, seriously... The overwhelming answer has been beat the Ducks. Look, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like I get so it. I, I hate that's it. where they are. I mean, that's where Oregon State is right now. I mean, one of one of our posters who has a fifth year senior on the team said, "My son has never beat the Huskies, Stanford, or the Ducks." Okay, so that, I'd like to I'd like to beat all three, please. <laughs> okay, that that's a great point. I like that Christmas gift, and I get the rivalry thing. I do. It's been since '07 since you beat Oregon. Wouldn't I mean? Could you imagine if this program made the jump from two to six and was a bowl team? See, I'm not there. So I, I, I do think next year. I think 2017. That's your bowl. That's the, that's what you should be shooting for. Not not to say that that shouldn't be on your you know radar now, but I think 2017 is the year that they they do it. Well, but no, what, what but I, they could shock some people. You never know. Well, I what mean, I what I mean by that, Angie, is more the Christmas thing. Like oh, the Christmas. Yeah, yeah. like if you could have a wish, right? A wish granted. I'm kind of surprised the majority is just Oregon. Like, I get it. It's been, for diehard Beaver fan out there, the media coverage, and I'm a part of this, uh, the fan, you know, the new Oregon Duck fan that didn't exist before Chip Kelly. Like, I get it. I really do. You would, Like, could you imagine getting a wish and the wish is a bowl, a bowl season? You go from two to a bowl game. What's the expectation going into year three? It's going to go up to an eight-game oh, exactly. eight season. So. That kind of surprised me a little bit. You wouldn't have a bowl game over just beating Oregon. But that's kind of where the, I mean, so I, I, to answer your question, I think maybe fans have tempered their expectations some. Yeah, okay. That they would take, that they, you know, that they would take, you know, a Civil War win as, as moving kind of in that right direction. But, well, I was, yeah. I was at that Civil War game, Angie, and I can tell you, I was freezing my knickers off with my buddies. My face was frozen. I was sitting amongst a bunch of Duck fans who, by the way, very classy individuals, the one I dealt with. So, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll temper my uh, my thoughts on Duck fan out there. But still, I was in. I was at Autzen as a fan. I wasn't there as media. And I can just tell you, cheering for Oregon State and watching the, uh, the war daddy go off in the second half and watching that defense get roasted by an Oregon State offense that couldn't move the ball on Colorado, couldn't move Colorado. on Washington, yeah. couldn't do anything. And they were going up and down the field, making Oregon fan nervous. That was a ton of fun. So I guess from that point of view, I can see where Oregon State fans coming from if they think a bowl win is out of the realm of possibility. But, you know, looking at the offense, it's going to be different. I mean, one of the things that Brian Rathbone, one of our writers, brought up today is, think back to last year, if, if, if it's not too painful, Beaver fan, do you guys remember the crazy quarterback drama? I mean, it was... You know, Marcus McMarion, Seth Collins. Oh, no, now Nick Mitchell's back. And I mean, it was there was no consistency whatsoever there. So now with some consistency on offense with a, with a quarterback, hopefully, you know, knock on wood that uh, Daryl Garrettson can stay healthy. But you have you have lots of weapons. I mean, look at that. Look at your weapons you have with, with Seth Collins now as a receiver. and Or you could put him in the Wildcat. You have Ryan Null. You have Victor Bolden returning. Trevon Bradford was very, very impressive during during spring camp as a true freshman. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, maybe they score more points this year, keep the defense off the field a little more. 
and there's so many variables. We could we could talk probably for hours on this, Brandon. Yeah, I think, uh, by the way, Bradford, uh, we won't get into it. We're going to wait a little more for fall camp to kick off, and we'll have a little more in-depth podcast. This is kind of a just a, hey, we're back. We are back, baby. Bradford could be almost a whole conversation. Yes, of yes. What- and maybe we try to get him on. Oh, I would love to talk to him. The kid seems like a great kid. Uh, I'm with you on all the rave reviews out of uh, Spring Ball. He seems to be on the radar of a lot of Beaver fans of, you know, look, it, it may be a little unrealistic of this and that, but hey, maybe he can be that surprise speedster wide receiver that breaks through the season and kind of bursts onto the scene. Yeah. So we, we may talk about Trevon Bradford uh, a little more on, on another podcast. So good to hear expectations, though. I, I'm glad fans don't get too carried away. And I look, I'm pumped for Gary Anderson. I still maintain I think he's going to get this program turned around. I like where it's headed. But there is a lot of youth uh, and inexperience. But fall camp's going to be very vital for them. Uh, what's been going on in the recruiting world for Oregon State? You know, Oregon State, they, they had a huge June. I mean, seriously, I, one, in one 24-hour period, they picked up five commits, which is unheard of. I actually was on vacation. I, I, a girlfriend and I took the kids, all four kids, to the beach overnight. And, yeah, five commitments. She got to see real quick what my world is like on a... You know, as I'm walking down Cannon Beach, you know, trying to uh, call recruits while she's hustling kids to the beach. But, um, no, there's there's some exciting things going on. And, you know, you can look at, you know, the ratings and, and stars. And, you know, obviously this class is going to rely heavily on some offensive linemen. They need some offensive linemen. And uh, we, we heard today from Keyshawn Nixon, a JUCO cornerback, who is officially visiting on uh, Civil War. So I, I do know Civil War is going to be a huge, huge recruiting weekend for Oregon State. And, uh, you know, the things that you hear about, though, you know, I, I've read it on Twitter. I've read it on different in different articles that Oregon State has struck out on some of their top prospects on the offensive line, for example, with Cody Shear, a local Eugene player choosing to go to Arizona. But the thing that Beaver fan needs to remember is Oregon State is still in it with a couple really big four stars. Um, Foster Serrell out of Washington and Aaron Banks down in California, both big time prospects. Oregon State is still in the mix, and uh, it's also a, a time that they need to hold on to the guys they have. You know, David Morris out of Sherwood picked up an Oregon offer shortly after committing to Oregon State, and um, you know, I actually ran into him a couple weeks ago, and um, there was one report that he was definitely going to take a trip to Oregon. I asked him about it. Um, my, my son was taking part in a camp, and he laughed. He said, I, I don't know yet. I, I haven't you know, come to any decision on that. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but that's, that's part of where the fun begins. You know, and, and that's looking at the season and, and what they do. That's another conversation of, okay, what if, what if they can start the season with a couple big wins? Mm-hmm. Momentum then changes on the recruiting trail. So it's all interconnected. Yeah, I kind of wonder that, too, um, because you go back to the 2016 class and the excitement there. And, you know, uh, uh, Tyson Penn was the wide receiver, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, out of mm-hmm. Bellevue. He was an academic non-qualifier. Another one, Sherrod Thompson. Like, losing out on guys like that, Thompson specifically as the four-star, I think that can that can lead some fans to wonder, like, do you lose momentum like that? And I know that sounds ridiculous on you know, surface level of, oh, well, they didn't academically qualify. It wasn't like they backed out. These were signees that academically uh, did not qualify. But you still wonder, like, do do recruits look at stuff like that and go, oh, well, they lost their four-star. And, oh, that, that wide receiver from Bellevue was supposed to be a stud. He did not go in there anymore. Like, I just wonder what the what's the repercussion on a recruiting, chair, uh, recruiting trail when your class kind of ends that way. 
you know, it's not, it's not I, as far as recruits go, it's, it's, I don't see any real fallout from that. Fans, yes, and opposing fans especially. Um, it, it was interesting, though. It, it, I seriously, you know, in the Lodge we talked about this a lot during the recruiting time because I can tell a lot about these kids because I deal with them. I'm, I'm, I've been dealing with them since they were, you know, juniors, seniors in high school. And there's some that are just really bad at getting back to you, bad at returning calls or texts. Mm-hmm. And, and those are typically the guys that don't make it in. It's, it's so uncanny. You know, Tyson Penn was the one player out of that whole class that I had so much trouble getting a hold of. And lo and behold, he doesn't make it in. Well, to be fair. Sherrod Thompson yeah. was one that was, he was, you know, would text me. He was always texting me, but, hey, I'm going to take a visit here and here. Uh-huh. So I'd write him back, okay, are you not committed to Oregon State? Or what's the, oh, no, I'm committed. I just want you to put it out there that I'm busy. And so he loved the attention. So, you know, it's a different play for all these kids. They're all a little different. Sherrod was a personal reason. He he uh, was not a, a, not a non-qualifier. He just had some personal issues pop up and uh, decided to uh, stay home. So where is he playing now? I, you know, I haven't heard. He, I think he was looking at a JUCO, but... Um, you know, I have not followed up with him on that one. Do you think the coaches follow him, or do you think it was kind of like, uh, I don't know what the situation was, but something pops up and the coaching staff basically goes, oh, okay, and then we're done. It's okay. We'll wipe our hands. You go your way, we'll go ours. I, I think that's, you know, probably in both cases, I would say that was that's the case with both Tyson mm-hmm. and and Sherrod. Uh, that's kind of disappointing. You know, the Tyson thing. But, there, you know, then there's, there's David Van Gupo, mm-hmm. the offensive lineman, and they're on him. He's a non-qualifier, but he is expected in – this, this in January. By the way, the Tyson Penn thing, uh, it really shouldn't be surprising given what we found out about Bellevue High School anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their whole thing was academic there. non-qualifiers and they found a way to play all those kids. So I guess that, like a guy like him, uh, I, I don't mean to ill, you know, say anything bad-mouthing the kid, but it shouldn't be shocking if a kid like that coming from that kind of high school program doesn't academically qualify. Yeah, yeah. So a couple. I have a. I do have actually one little tidbit for the 2016 class. And nothing official yet, but um, I had learned a couple weeks ago. Um, see the the beautiful thing of living in Sherwood. See that <laughs> you get all the Sherwood scoop. So in Oregon State now finally has a, a couple guys you know from Sherwood. But yeah. um, or Sherwood last year had a kicker Adley Rushman. He was the baseball Gatorade Player of the Year. Um, had signed with Pat Casey actually to play baseball. So he is going to Oregon State on on a partial baseball scholarship. He also happened to be an amazing kicker for Sherwood. Kicked a 63-yard field goal. Oh, that's right. I remember that kid. Plus 50-yarders consistently. Um, So Oregon State has reached out to him, and I have heard, I've not been able to confirm with Adley yet, but I have heard that he will be a a roster addition for fall camp. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of more of an open tryout type thing. I, I don't know which direction that is going. If he does end up playing football, the NC2A, um, mandates that his scholarship then comes from the 85 at football and not a baseball scholarship. So that's, I mean, it's, people freak out about it. It's actually a good thing because back in the day when they first started limiting scholarships, you'd have some SEC schools and, and other programs that would just say, okay, let's see track and baseball. And they'd pick some sports and then just say, we're going to stash all these kids over there and pull their scholarships from them. So they, they make football as the, the counter. So if the kids, if Adley does play football, he will be on a full base or a full, full football scholarship. Okay, let's. But, uh, oh, go, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so so that's one to watch, and then also Sean Harlow. I I don't know if you heard Coach Anderson kind of talking about him being fifty fifty right now. Mm-hmm. He is 
slate it to be a starter on the depth chart, but I have heard from several sources that um, he may, in fact, redshirt this year. And um, I've actually kind of penciled him in as a redshirt. So um, he wants to take, you know, have, they want him to take his time coming back from that injury. Foot and ankles are so they're hard anyway, just because of the blood flow. There's not a lot of blood flow in the area for healing. Yeah. And then you add it on a 300 pound body. It makes chance of re-injury very, very easy. So um, make sure he's 100%. So that's the other thing that Beaver fans probably need to, to keep an eye out yeah. for. That Harlow news, I think, could be a lot bigger um, when that, you know, if it officially comes out that he's going to redshirt. That's pretty big just because you know, I think a lot of people look the left tackle position and, you know, you got you got Brandell behind him. He's a redshirt freshman. Behind him is Will Hopkins. Uh, and you just kind of wonder what the experience is going to be like for them at one of the more important positions on the offensive line. So that's a pretty big nugget to drop on the damn podcast. I like that. Yeah, yeah, we try. I try, <laughs> try, try to take care of you guys. Um, all right, so let's let's wrap it up. Again, we will do a lot of in-depth stuff as fall camp kind of kicks off. We just wanted to uh, have a welcome back podcast. And I, I wanted to throw this at you. So the Pac-12 Network... I, God knows how this happened. I somehow got put on a list of uh, people they wanted to create the greatest Oregon State players of all time. Twelve greatest. You are so big time. I'm not big time. Don't even try to joke around about that. I'm not big time. I, somebody probably gave me some pity email, and that's kind of what happened. So the network is putting together 12 greatest players, regardless of position, in Oregon State history. Okay. They're, they're probably doing this for every program, so they ask all the you know media, different media members. They also do best coach as well. Okay. And I found this to be a little challenging at first, but then I created it because it was due, and I said, you know what, here we go. And I found it a little easier as I wrote the names down. So I'll try to give you these names. It's 12. It's over a podcast, so if you're listening to this driving, et cetera, it's going to be hard to remember all the names. But here we go. These are not mine. The Pac-12 Network, give you, they give you these tw- these choices for the 12 greatest. Derek Anderson, Terry Baker, Ted Bates, Steve Brown, Brandon Browner, Vern Burke, Reggie Bynum, Scott Crichton, Brandon Cooks, John Didion, Bill Inyart, Red Franklin, Craig Henneman, uh, Mike Hass, Stephen Jackson, Rich Coper, Andy Levitri, Jess Lewis, Mannion, Newsom, uh, Obilovich, Stephen Paya, Pete Pfeiffer, Jordan Poyer, Quiz, James, Vic Sears, uh, Cerna, Simonton, Strotter, Swancut, uh, Tuolo, Tongue, Weathersby. Okay. Oh, and Marcus Wheaton and John Witt. So okay. there's all the names possible. I know half the people out there forgot half the names. That's fine. I want to give you the names of my 12. And I'm curious if you disagree with the 12. Now, we had to do an order. I don't like doing order. I think sometimes it's stupid. But we had to do an order. I'll just give you my 12. Okay. Okay? Let's, let's hear this. Screw it. I'll give you my order, too. Number one, Terry Baker. Yeah. You, you got to. Two, Simonton. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I yeah. He, what he meant to the program? Yes. Three, I went in your earthquake in your... Okay, yeah, solid. Four, this is a little bias. I wrote this down. I'll tweet this out at Brandon Sprague after the podcast. This is a bias pick at four, but I went there nonetheless. Mike Hass. Okay. Uh, five, I went Paya. Six, I went Cooks. Seven, I went Quiz. Eight, I went Swancut. Nine, I went Levitri. Uh, Ten, I went Rogers, James. Eleven, I went Jess Lewis. And twelve, I went Stephen Jackson. Okay. Am I missing anybody on that list? 
Would you have traded somebody out for somebody else? Well, I, I mean, Haas was huge, but see, it's also so. It is. This is the twelve most important for Oregon State, but not like their career. Not not most important, just twelve greatest. Greatest. Twelve greatest. So you know their era doesn't doesn't matter. But I will admit, I had trouble with some of the '90s players of saying, "Should I put them on because how bad they were?" But twelve greatest. I don't know Weathersby. I mean, he was great, great, great. He was one I, of my three I, I, I really think, struggled with. I, I think I would have had to put Dennis on there. Um, gosh, but no, I mean, because you have to take. I mean, you have to have a Jess Lewis or an Earthquake Enyard on there. That's kind of um, what I was thinking too. Terry Baker, yes, yep. definitely. Um, Paya. He was huge while he was here. Okay, Cooks. When he was. Definitely. You have to have Brandon Cooks. You have to have Quiz. Uh, I you have s- to have James. Yeah, I, I see, yeah. maybe this is my bias coming out, but I would even have James above Quiz. Yeah, see, now here was the difficult part for me was um, the rankings were tough for me of saying, oh, where should he be? Now, I'm okay to being open up for criticism on rankings. I, I can hear that argument all day, and I'm actually, I wouldn't even argue back with anybody. But see, wh- one name that I did not hear on the list at all, Mm-hmm that I would have had on that list was Nick Barnett. Now, here's the thing. Barnett's not an option. I, that's what I said. It wasn't an option. It wasn't on the list. But I don't see how you leave a Nick Barnett off the list. Well, here's the other thing. I'm going to throw another name at you, too, because I'm with you. When I saw this list, I go, I was scrolling, and I go, where's Nick Barnett? Like, Barnett was a effing stud when he was here. Here's another name. Jonathan Smith? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so that's in my head. I mean, besides Terry Baker, I was like, okay, so Derek Anderson... I was, I was thinking quarterbacks. You're right. Jonathan Smith. There is no doubt. Jonathan Smith and Nick Barnett are the two names that Pac-12 messed up. Well, and that's kind of what I looked at. I was like, how are both those names not on it? Now, I will admit, Steven Jackson, I think stats-wise, is a no-brainer. I did struggle a little bit with him or Derek. And I I just kind of sided with Steven just because of the all-purpose yards. You know, I yeah, but I might have went with Derek just because he stayed. You know, Stephen would have stayed another year. Yeah, I know. You can't fault him on that. He had to go cash. What, out. what a fun! What a fun discussion, though. Seriously, this could be a podcast in its own right. But I definitely this is bad on the Pac-12, and I'll have to tweet this out too because how do you leave Jonathan Smith and Nick Barnett off that list? That was my I, I honest to God when I read the players available to vote on my first my first two were Barnett, Jonathan Smith. Now I might have met, you know you have Weathersby right in your twelve. I don't. Know I would have had I would have had Weathersby. I think. Who would you have cut out of mine? Just I'm just curious. What? Did, okay, so Jackson, Lewis, Rogers, Levitri, Swancut, Quiz, Cooks, Paya. Uh, I might have cut Paya out. Really? I, I think, but he was. I mean, he was Pac-12 Player of the Year. Yeah, you're right. Amer all and American. Swancut. Swancut. It's hard to take him off. I know Swan. I still compare but there, so but many pass rushers to him. I know, I know. I mean, he was. Gosh, I don't know. That's the tough. Who, thing. who do you have? Okay, well, who do you have as your, a DB then on your on your list? That's the controversial part. I don't. Oh, you I, don't. Okay. Well, the thing was, it was really important for them to say position doesn't matter. Okay, position doesn't so matter. So it's just the players that you're given option wise. So my DB options are Weathersby. Uh, you could go safety. You got tongue. And Poyer. Poyer. Uh, I'm trying to see if I'm missing anybody on this list real quick. Those might be it DB-wise. Oh, and Browner. Yeah. Brandon Browner. Oh, Browner. Yeah. 
Those are your, those are your options. And so I thought about that, and I know how good of a player Weathersby was. I just looked at these other names, and I go... Yeah, how do you leave him off? I mean, it's, more, it's not a slight to, to Dennis. It's I more know. of a, how do you leave... Yeah, because you can't... Because I... Stopped. Yeah, no, it's... I was... It's, just, it, oh, go ahead. And you, could, and you couldn't just make it all, like, modern. I mean, you have to have a Jess Lewis on there. I know. You have to, because... And that's the other thing that hurts some of these older players, like... Ted Bates, he played in 55-58, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, he played in the 57 Rose Bowl. He was second All-American tackle in three years. Like, he had an incredible career. But football is so different. I didn't watch him play uh, you know, less teams in college football. It's tough because you kind of have to hold that against some of these guys, and it's not fair. But I don't know how you don't give more credit to the Giant Killers. And that's why, you know, Earthquake, I just knew how great he was. And Jess Lewis... I mean, that's a guy that I've heard nothing but great things from people all around that athletic program. So yeah, it, it was hard for me to leave off so that's those just it. two you, names. It's hard. To, it's hard. To, but then, okay, and this might be controversial too. But I mean, if you had a Barnett or a Jonathan Smith as an option, mm-hmm. okay, you can't take half off. But and I hate even saying this because he's one of my favorite guys I've covered. But Brandon Cooks, can you take Cooks off? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Belitnikov winner. Con- yeah, consensus you're right. I mean, consensus all-American. All American. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. I mean... What about... I'd probably... I mean, yeah, this this would... That would turn into a sexy list for me, because you know what I would do? I'd be completely unfair. I would take, like, Levitri off. Yeah, yeah, Levitri. I mean, I would take him off, probably. I would, I, I would put Nick Barnett over Levitri, if I had to... If that was an option. Yeah, I probably... Honest to God, I probably would have put Barnett over Levitri. But I was thinking, you know, Levitri's career, they, they were 28 and 12 when he played... Uh, the running game was phenomenal. It was Quiz first year. Like he was such a good player, and then it translated to the NFL form for so long. Yeah, yeah. That I, it's hard not to take that into account. But that list, uh, that list kind of ate at me. Wow, for a while. that yeah, no, that's, that's going to be something I have to gnaw on here because that's an interesting. But yeah, Pac-12, boo on you because no Jonathan Smith and no Nick Barnett. I will tweet out my list. So, uh, so what about coaches? Does it have coaches as a choice? It does. I'll tweet out the list. I even give reasoning behind each guy and kind of how okay. I feel about each player. Here's the coaching list. So it's greatest coach, right? Now, there's a controversial thing with the coaches as well. These are the coaches you have to choose for. You choose the one. Erickson, Prothrow, Riley, Luce, uh, Lon Steiner. There is no DeAndros. Wow. And Lon Steiner, by the way, for I imagine seventy percent of the crowd out there, who the hell's Lon Steiner? He coached in thirty three and f- to forty eight. Nineteen thirty three. I didn't even know they were playing football in thirty three. But no DeAndros. Yeah, that's that's gonna get the you know, an, another I, I mean, I know who I'd pick. Who do you go with? Dennis Erickson. No, you don't. Oh, totally go with Come Dennis Erickson. Come on. He was there like three years. He turned that program, no! though. No! But see, this is where my mom, see, like my mom then would say, you're so wrong because Riley brought some of those guys in. And Yes, a lot of those kids are Riley's. Now, the Juco kids, I'll give Dennis that. Taking it to another level, I'll give him credit because of his success at Miami. How could you go over Riley? Honestly. I don't know. I don't How? know. See, this is this would be good Twitter banter, too. So Twitter followers... You gotta, you gotta tell us what you're thinking here. I can't believe you're. That gonna would go be a Erickson. hard one. I can't believe. I really thought. I know she loves Dennis. I just know that because I know your, I know, I know your story a little bit. But I thought you would for sure still go. Ah, I love Dennis, but I gotta give the edge to Riles. Yeah, I, I love Riley too. But I, I just what Dennis did in that short. Yeah, and you're right. Longevity, I guess, plays a part. 
Who would you want? Know. Okay, if you were to, let's say we plaster these players and the coach. We put them all around the stadium. They're there forever, right? The list is always going to change because of incoming yes. players. But yes. these are the guys. These are what embodies Oregon State football. Can you honestly, 100% tell me that you picture Dennis Erickson's face up there over Mike Riley's? Because I can't. And that was part of the reason. Yeah, I, yeah, I would put it that way. But the the attitude that Dennis brought... Oh, there's, I mean, I mean, he brought a lot of things to that program. <laughs> the added to the swagger. <laughs> yeah, I can't argue I that. Mean, there, that, I mean, and seriously, I, I agree with Ken Simonton and, and others that have said recently, that team was the best team in the, in the country by the end of the year. Well, I don't, I don't argue that. I, and I know Simonton said that recently. I'm not going to say where he said it for obvious reasons, but I know he said that like that. Hasn't everybody kind of felt that way for ever since yeah, that season for, was uh, yeah. minus the Washington game? That was the best team in the country. But I, I say this and people just shoot it down. Back to back Rose Bowl birth appearances potentially for them, like to be in that position in the conference, and then also just I, I really just believe this wholeheartedly. I thought Riley got the right mix of guys mixed in with Dennis, went to the next level. Riley came back second time. And yes, they didn't win another BCS bowl game. Dennis, after the BCS game, it's not like he was lights out. They actually had some subpar seasons there. So, when Dennis is the biggest, the biggest fault that I had with Dennis was his recruiting. No doubt about it. And I think a lot of because we get caught up in how it ended for Riley. Let's go look at the years where it was going well. And the glory years. Yeah, look what he was doing. And I still maintain. It's Riley that created this expectation from a program that, all honestly, if we're being wholehearted, honest, honest on this stuff, the, the program they they don't deserve to have this expectation based on their history. But I think because of Riley's second stint, mixed in with yes, Dennis's Fiesta Bowl, we now have this expectation of Gary Anderson in four years should have this at yeah. a nine. Yeah, program, you're right. You know, no, and and that was not like I said. I didn't mean that as a slight toward toward, toward Riley. Oh, I know you didn't. But I, I don't. I, I'm just looking at it the best season ever in Oregon State history. Ooh, even over the Rose Bowl seasons, huh? I, w- I would say so. Yeah, hard to argue. That was the best team in college football. Nonetheless, but it's, but it's, no, it's awesome. So our short little podcast now has actually turned into a long one. <laughs> it has turned into a long one. <laughs> uh, I'll tweet out the list with my Twitter account at Brandon Sprague. You can check out the twelve greatest players I picked. Reasons why. And then greatest coach. And if you want to have a conversation about that uh, on the next podcast, maybe we could bring this up again if people are interested. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I really like doing this. Now, I'm not the greatest writer out there, but it's pretty short, concise, you know, basically just gives you quick reasons why I picked each guy. It adds career notes from the conference themselves of, you know, all the accolades all the players have. Most of you know them already, but uh, I found that to be pretty entertaining for myself. That no, like I said, we could probably do a whole podcast on it. You're right. We probably could. We probably could. And but by the will. by the next one, it's going to be total fall camp. I know. I can't believe it. It's finally here, ladies and gentlemen. It's finally here. Freaking fall camp. It's about effing time. You know, it is. it's about time. Football needs to come back. It is coming back. Uh, thank you to everybody that tweeted us questions. We will get to let's hold some of those questions, Angie, for the next podcast. Yeah, I, ha- I have some, and we'll we'll do it maybe next week. Perfect. We'll do uh, we'll do some questions. Fall camp gets underway. Uh, we are back, and we cannot wait to get going for this season. It's going to be a fantastic one. Win, lose, or draw doesn't matter for us. We're here to talk Oregon State 
football. Follow, find our podcast on iTunes. We You can subscribe there. We're on there. We are still on SoundCloud as well. And uh, we will see you next time when we talk on the damn podcast.